The year was 1980. The location was Vegas. It was really early in the morning. I got up with my two brother-in-laws and my dad, and we made it down to the main floor. We started walking out the street. People were coming around us, walking by, and they looked so sad, like they just lost everything. But that wasn't the state of our, our hearts that day. We were just super excited because we were getting on a bus and we we're going to get up to the Colorado River for the next week. We'd be floating on a raft through the Grand Canyon seven days with my brother-in-laws and my dad. What a trip. The majesty of the canyon, the side hikes, the, the, the great food, the, the companionship with my family and taking it all in and going down these rapids and they increasingly got bigger and because we had motors on the back of these rafts, the guides would say, you wanna do it again? And we say, yeah, let's do it again. And we go shooting up those rapids and then we come down it again, hanging on for dear life, hooting and hollering, having the time of our lives, a trip of a lifetime. But then, then as we started getting into this trip, we started hearing rumors about Lava Falls. They go like, this is the largest whitewater body in the northern hemisphere. There's like a 38-foot drop. There's like this hole that's big enough to envelop the raft that was like 35 feet long. And man, as we heard about it, we're going, oh my word, oh my word, this is a little freaky. And then we're getting there on the day of Lava Falls, and a mile up the river, you could hear its roar. My heart's starting to pump. And it's kind of excitement and fear all wrapped in. And then I remember they pulled off to the side before Lava Falls and they let us walk up and they gave people the choice. Do you want to go down or do you want to walk around? And we, we were committed. We're going down Lava Falls. I mean, we got an experienced guy. We got a 35-foot raft and we got motors. We got like two motors to, to get us through and navigate around the holes and we went down. Here's a picture. I mean, this is wild lava falls. We made it. Trip of a lifetime. So this whole thing about rough waters, lava falls, that's what Jesus is doing at the end of chapter 15 going into chapter 16. He's saying, guys, man, rough times are coming. Rough waters ahead. I've been telling you about my own personal journey, how it's going to be rough. I'm going to Jerusalem, right? And, and here we are. And, and I'm, going to be, I'm going to be roughed up by the religious leaders. They're going to kill me. And I'm going to rise again from the dead. He's been telling his disciples this. And we'll fully understand all that's going on. Remember now, we're reading this backwards in a sense. Like a lot of us, we know the story. They're, they're living it forward. And like they, they don't know how this is all going to work out. But now he's saying, it's not just going to be about me. Because the world that hates me. The world that wants to kill me is the world's going to hate you at times. It's the world that's going to want to kill you at times. And so he's given him this warning, man, when the waters are rough, you're going to want to turn back. You're going to want to get out of the boat and just not just walk around it. You're going to want to chuck your faith. You're going to want to walk away from God, abandon me. And so I'm, I'm giving you this warning that when you're tempted to turn back, you got to turn to God. You got to turn to God. Grab your Bibles, and we're in John chapter 15, verse 26. He's just been talking about the world hating the disciples and harming the disciples. 
And now he's going to continue on this theme as he unpacks what it looks like to not just heed the warning, but actually what it looks like to actually turn to God. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, or as he unpacks it, the Spirit, the Father, and the Son. Verse 26. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue, in fact. The time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the, the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. He'll not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears. And he'll tell you what is yet to come. He'll glorify me, because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So when rough time comes, there's going to be a temptation. And the temptation is to turn back. To turn back. That's the warning. That's his concern. That's why he's setting their expectation. And it reminds me a lot of Greek class. Dr. Piper was my Greek prof uh, in seminary, where I was a, in, in college, where I was a Bible uh, major in, at Bethel University now. And he, and he gave this simple diagram. And he said, just something like this. This is Greek class, guys. And here we are, day one, and you're up here. You're riding high. But here's what's going to happen within a week. You're going to bottom out. This is where you're going to be. And right here, you're going to want to drop out. You're going to want to drop this class going, it's too hard. I'll never learn Greek. And sure enough, in two days, I got here. But he, he didn't stop the diagram here. He said, and then here's what's going to happen. You just hang in there and slowly and surely you're going to keep learning Greek. And you know what? Over time, you're going to get it. So hang in there. Hang in there. Jesus is saying, hey guys, you, I've been telling you about me. Now, I'm going to tell you about you. This world that hates you is going to, is going to hurt you. And, and tough times are coming. And here they are right here. And you're going to want to fall away. You're going to want to give up the faith. You're going to, want to turn back and abandon me. And you're going to go do life on your own. Don't do that. You got to turn back to God. So he says the temptation is to turn back when it gets hard. And, and what he says is, it's going to be hard. In fact, he, he bookends this whole thing. 
He says, not only are they going to kick you out of the synagogue, you're going to lose all those relationships and community, but you're going to have trouble. So he starts in verse 1 of chapter 16, talking about hard times, and you go to chapter 16, verse 33, and one of the last things he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Trouble, 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 all the way through. He says, you're going to have it, not you might have it. It's going to happen. And when it happens, I'm just going to warn you, you're going to want to drop out fall away and you're going to be surprised because some of what is going to happen to you isn't from the people that you think it's supposed to happen from so for these guys the trouble is coming from people who could kick them out of the synagogue what does that mean from religious leaders from the jewish establishment the very leaders who hate jesus and want to kill jesus who hate jesus miracle friend Lazarus and want to kill him are the very ones who are going to want to kill them and you read the book of Acts and you see that's exactly what's going on and you know church history and you know all but probably John the writer of John's gospel died a martyr's death so he says when times are rough and you're tempted to turn back turn to God and again now there's no word called the Trinity in this passage, but man, the doctrine, the teaching is here. One God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So turn to God, and the first point of reference is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit who helps us. So how does he help us? Well, he's our advocate. Now, when we think of an advocate, we think about an illegal uh, setting right someone who comes as uh, someone who represents us and, and they're there to help us to to counsel us to encourage us it literally means a called alongside one sometimes uh, translate the comforter or the helper he's the advocate the advocate who's the spirit of truth who guides us into truth and who reminds us of God's truth. So back in chapter 14, he's already said this. Verse 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. That was so important to the disciples, like Matthew would give us the gospel, like John who would give us his gospel, that they would have the Spirit in them, who would remind them of what Jesus said and give insight to what Jesus meant. The spirit of truth, who will help us give evidence, bear testimony. Did you notice that in verse uh, 26, verse 27 of chapter 15? Uh, verse 26, actually, the spirit, he will testify. He will give evidence it's like a review on Google talking about that restaurant, talking about that hotel, talking about that experience, that book. He, he's going he's gonna to give a review on Jesus. He's going to keep the spotlight on Jesus. He's going to help confer that Jesus is who he said he is, the son of God, the promised savior. And he's going to help us do the very same thing because he's reminding his disciples, hey, you got to call. And your call in this life is to make disciples as you bear witness of me in your life and through your message sharing the good news of hope and the gospel. So he's the spirit of truth, our helper. He's the power that gives us life and helps us to share the life-giving message 
of God's love. But who does he help? We notice he has a function that has to do with the world where he convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Or as it says here, he proves the world to be in the wrong about these things. And then for the believer, he guides us into the truth. And yet he also convicts a believer. And he's also guiding the world into truth, the truth about themselves, that they're sinner, that they're sinners, that they need a savior. The truth about righteousness, that it's not anything that we can attain. It's something that we receive as a gift from God through faith in Jesus Christ, who is righteousness, holiness, embodied, perfection, the, the perfect son of God who always loved God the Father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, who always loved his neighbor as himself to the point of giving up his life for them, even his enemies on the cross. And, and he wants them to be convicted about judgment. And that is that we stand guilty before a holy God. And we don't have the stuff to present ourselves to God. Whereby God says, well, that's good. Because Jesus has taught we got to be perfect. We're not perfect. But he is. So he's got a function in this world. To convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. But he also has a role in the life of the believer, right? And so he guides us into truth. He illumines our mind to understand. He empowers us to actually help us live out the word so that we're doing what we say in our second value, the Bible's authority. We're centering our lives on God's truth. And so we got to remember, as we talk about a lot, that you can't separate the spirit from the word of God. So it's not like the Spirit is just coming up with all this random stuff. He says, no, actually, the Spirit is only going to reveal what I've already taught. He's going to reveal what I'm telling you. Yes, he's going to speak about the future at times. But fundamentally, what he's doing is he is helping us understand Jesus, the living word, and Jesus, the written word that is all about him, Old Testament and New Testament. And so it's word and spirit. So he's called the Spirit of Truth. Or in Ephesians chapter 6, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And so he guides us, right? And he gives us life, Romans 8. And he helps us understand in our heart of hearts when we're wondering, am I really a Christian? Am I really one of God's children? That the Spirit bears witness with our spirit deep inside, giving us a conviction not that we are perfect, not that we've got our act together, but through faith in Jesus Christ, we are God's daughter. We are God's son. We are adopted into his family. And so the spirit is coming, but Jesus says, as you turn to him, you need to understand, I got to leave. You've had me for three and a half years. You've had me and we've walked and we've talked and we've done life together, but I'm going back to the Father. And I know you're all upset about that when I talk about it, but it's for your good that I'm going back. Because when I go, that's when I'm going to be sending the Spirit. And so you turn to the Spirit who is your helper, who is your comforter, who is your guide, who will prick your conscience and help you understand the way to go in life. You hang on. 
to the Holy Spirit. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit, as Paul would say. And then he points us to the Father who loves us. Pick it up in verse 16. Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you'll see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, it felt like a, a riddle. They couldn't figure it out. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? When's this going to happen, right? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while, you'll see me no more, and then after a little while, you'll see me. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. So now he's unpacking what he's talking about. And we get it perfectly in hindsight, but they're still not getting it because they're, they're living it out forward. We know he's talking about his death. That's when he's going to leave. And they're going to be so upset about it. But the world's going to be rejoicing. This world that is opposed to God, they're going to be rejoicing. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy because he's not going to stay in the tomb. That's Easter chapter 20. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. He's saying it, it's a metaphor. It's, it's like giving birth. And it was awful. It was terrible. It was the agony. And we don't understand why you did it again. Some of you women and Lori who bore five of our children. Amazing. Thank you. And, and he says it's just like that. Man, it's, it's anguish. But you hold that new life. And that joy transcends. Doesn't mean you don't have pain. It transcends it. Transcends it. That's, that's what it's going to be like. This joy. So with you. Now is your time of grief. He's talking about what's about to happen is death. But I will see you again. Talking about his resurrection. And you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. When you know that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again, conquering death, showing that he is the acceptable sacrifice for your sins and the sin of the whole world, that is lasting joy that nobody can take away. No circumstance can take away. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Because he's not going to be around. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I'll no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. And so, in a little while, I'm not going to be here anymore. And then after a little while, I'm going to be back. They're scratching their heads going, what are you talking about? He's talking about his death and his resurrection. And as he unpacks and gets them prepared for what's about to happen, not just the hard times that are coming, but the harder times when they actually see him suffer on a cross that he wants them to know, hey man, it's like childbirth. It's going to be hard. You're going to grieve. You're going to suffer. But man, it's just like childbirth. 
You're going to celebrate. You're going to have lasting joy when you see me risen from the dead. Lasting joy, Easter joy, resurrection joy. And so he says to his disciples, he says, man, you got to turn to the father who loves you. You got to turn to the father who loves you. This father loves you because you love me. When you love Jesus, you love the father. And you can't love God if you don't love Jesus. But because we love Jesus, the father loves us. And we know the father loves us because he sent Jesus to live and die for us. So he says, so in hard times, turn to the Father, the one who loves you, and go to him in prayer. I'm not going to be around. You're going to pray to the Father, and you're going to pray in my name. And it's not this magical formula where you can say anything and you just tag on, in Jesus' name. And you get the new Cadillac, and you get the deal on the house, and you get the new job, and you get the trophy wife, and you get five kids if you want five kids, which you probably don't. Whatever you want, you get it. Because I prayed it in Jesus' name. Some people, they get goofy about this. No, in Jesus' name means we're praying according to Jesus, his character, his will, his desires. Prayer is never about, God, this is what I want. And would you just kind of acquiesce and bend your will and wishes to mine? No, prayer is this humble posture before God, communicating, recognizing that he is almighty, holy God who can do all things and we are praying according to his will and we are bending our wills to his will and when we align our desires with his will, ask whatever we want according to his name, his will, and he will give it to us and with that gift complete, full joy, nothing lacking. And so he hears our prayers. In 1 John 5, 14, we have this very truth. John says it a different way. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, he hears us. And this one who loves us, this one who hears us, this one who delights to answer our prayers is the one who gives us joy, which means he transforms sorrow into joy, ashes into that which is beautiful. He takes our mourning and he turns it into dancing. He transforms us, even if the circumstances haven't changed. Because our relationship is now in Christ who is in the Father and we have this full joy that is not in any way calibrated to is my life a joy-filled experience right now? No, no, no. You could go through all kinds of things and have joy. You could be going through the hardest thing that you've ever gone through right now and you can have the fullness of joy that the psalmist put it this way in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. In your presence is fullness of joy, eternal pleasures. Eternal pleasures. Pleasures forever. So, you guys, we just got to stop and, and just hold on here. Because our, our concept of joy is... I'm, I'm going to get it through circumstances. And what we've been hearing is, no, joy is all about a relationship. When we're abiding in Christ and receiving from him, part of that is joy. 
When we're in relationship with the Father and pouring our heart to Him, this Father who loves us. You guys, the Father, creator of the universe who's always existed, that is giving you breath right now, that holds this universe in its place, this God. He, he loves you. And there's nothing that can separate you from his love. And he's offering full, complete joy. And we got all these things that we go, no, that's going to bring me joy. That's going to bring me joy. And we got a list. It's our own bucket list of joy. It's not a bucket list. It's our great God, the Father who loves us. So Jesus says, plainly, hey, I'm going back. I'm going back to the Father. And then they go, oh, finally, you're not talking in riddles and figures of speech. We get it now. You're going back to the Father and they believe. And we believe that you are sent from heaven. And Jesus has this little Peter kind of conversation. He says, oh, so you believe? Look at it in verse 31. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone for my father's with me. You say you believe, but the truth is you're going to abandon me. That's what's going to happen. The, the guys who just spent three and a half years with Jesus that, that boldly proclaim that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. They've seen him raise Lazarus from the dead and, and heal the man with the withered hand and the man born blind and turn the water into wine and on and on and on. They've seen it all. And he says, you're gonna leave me. You say you believe. You just, you don't understand how fragile your faith is when it comes under pressure. In this world, you're gonna have trouble. You're gonna have trouble. And so that's, where we go next, turn to God, the Son, who gives peace and courage. Look at verse 33. I've told you these things, Jesus says, so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. You'll be hard-pressed. You'll be persecuted. There'll be anguish. There'll be torment. You will have trouble. Not you might. You will have trouble. But take heart. Be courage. Be courageous. I've overcome the world. So I just let's notice this before Jesus' death. It's just hours away, very likely, if we've got the chronology right here. It's just hours away from his arrest and from his brutal beatings, being flogged 39 times, right? The crown of thorns and then nailed to a cross. And he's thinking, he's thinking about his disciples, and through his disciples, he's thinking about us. He's focused on the mission. And so he forewarns them that they might be forearmed, warning them of the rough times ahead. One last time, there's going to be trouble. You're going to be tempted to fall away. In fact, you guys are going to abandon me. So turn to God, not just the Spirit, not just the Father, but turn to me so that in me, through faith in me, as you're abiding in me, you have this conduit that gives you this ballast of peace. And the great picture of peace when it comes to Jesus and the kind of peace that he could give us is when he's asleep in the middle of a storm, just crawl up in the corner of the boat. And the, and the disciples who are these professional fishermen are literally shaken in their boots thinking, this boat is going to break apart. We're in the middle of the lake and we're going to die. And Jesus is just this picture of peace. 
says, I'll give you peace. In me, in me. That, that peace isn't like a commodity outside of himself. Here, here's a bundle of peace. No, peace is me. I am peace. He's the prince of peace. And when you're abiding in me and connected to me, my life, then my peace, my shalom, my, my well-being, it, it's going it's to bless you and grace you. It's going to give you this ballast, this calm, even in the storm. It's not the absence of conflict. It's this peace that could be yours in the midst of right now. There are a lot of people who know Jesus Christ who are going through the storm of their lives and they have this supernatural understanding of peace. As he says in chapter 14, not that the, not that the world gives a peace that passes un, human understanding, Paul will call it. He gives peace. And with that, he gives courage. Courage. Courage to keep trusting him courage to keep living for him when it costs us take heart i've overcome the world and that courage is rooted in this fact that we're not fighting with jesus for victory he's done it all he's won it all on the cross the prince of the world stands condemned he said and so we're fighting from victory and that victory gives us courage because we know the end of the story. That victory gives us courage because the power of Christ that rose him from the dead is alive in us through faith in Christ, even the spirit of truth, the helper, the Holy Spirit. So let's bring it home. Some of us are in Lava Falls right now. And uh, we're, we're not in a boat. We don't have a guide. We don't even have a life jacket on. And we're afraid if we go under one more time, that just could be it. You're looking for guidance. You're starving for love. You're longing for joy that lasts. You, you never thought it was possible for peace, a shalom, a sense of well-being, body, mind, and soul. Turn to God. Put your faith in Jesus Christ, the one who brings us to the Father, the one who sent us his spirit. Turn to God. Place your faith in God. Place your faith in Christ, the one who suffered chaos to bring you peace. Some of us, though, we're not prepared to suffer, and Jesus is giving us a word of warning about the future. It's happening all around the world right now. People are being persecuted. People are being martyred for their faith. Every day around the world, it's happening. And, and I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but my sense is it's going to cost us more and more to stand for Christ. doesn't mean everybody's going to hate us because the world that hates the disciples is also the world that's going to respond to the disciples' message, he says. But we're going to be hated. And we will suffer. Maybe not the kind of radical physical persecution that exists in so many parts of the world. But we will suffer harm. It'll cost us. And we're not ready. Because we, we thought following Jesus meant, man, we got Jesus and we're on with Jesus. And so he's just going to protect us from everything. He's protected us from death eternal separation from God. 
He's protected us by giving his spirit and the provision of prayer and his people. But we're not ready. We're not ready. We don't know the word. We don't pray. We're not in community. We're vulnerable. Are you ready? Are you prepared? And for some of us, like every one of us, who's a follower of Jesus, this passage is coming to us and, and it's asking this question. Are you every day turning to God? Are, are you hearing the warning? Are you heeding the warning? Are, are you in the word? Are, are, are you in prayer? Do you have his peace? Are you walking in courage, understanding he's already won it all? What does it look like for you to take the next step? Where does he want you to take the next step as it relates to turning to him? And then finally, as this is Compassion Sunday, let's remember one of the roles of the Spirit. One of the roles of the Spirit is to remind us of the things that Jesus taught. And one of the themes that we've been running into in this, this section of John's gospel is he keeps talking about the importance of loving one another. And we've been drilling into that. That is how people will know that we are his disciples, by our love for one another. And so we've been talking about our love for each other here. And our love is expressed in our family relationships. Our, our love is expressed in our ministries. Our love as it's expressed in our groups, in our life groups, in our support groups, right? In our studies. And, and now I just want us to understand that the one another's are, are bigger than our local church, even though we're spread around the city and through the internet, you guys are around the country. But he wants us to, to love our brothers and sisters around the world and Compassion Sunday, you guys, this is a great opportunity to do that. And so there's been 70 plus families and individuals who have been sponsoring kids through Compassion, like Lori and I last year, sponsoring little Olvin from Honduras. We have four partner churches and those partner churches are partnering with Compassion and, and they are sharing the love of Christ. They're helping with their education. They're helping with their food and health needs. They're helping their families and we're a part of it. Lives like little Emily here, this beautiful little Honduran and, and, and Kevin. And we have an opportunity now to support more kids in our partner churches and show that we truly are Christ's disciples because we love one another. And we're praying for the church around the world. And we're giving to help these kids through compassion. So in a moment, you're going to see a great video, Samuel's story about how compassion changed his life. He's kind of like an alum of compassion. Helps you get a, an eye on what, what goes on here. Because I can tell you what, I, I love the investment Lori and I are making. Because one day in heaven, we're going to meet Olvin. We're going to meet his kids, his grandkids, his nephews, his nieces, his friends, maybe his parents, his brothers and sisters, who, whose lives have been transformed through the love of God that was shared through a church that we partnered with and Compassion International that came around that church all to the glory of God. Let's pray. And so, Lord, grant faith to those who right now are in just a world of hurt in some serious rough waters. And Lord, I just pray that you'd grant them faith right now and an understanding to know that they need you 
and that you want to be their savior? Would you grant them faith to reach out and place their lives in your nail-pierced hands, Lord Jesus, as followers of you, that they might experience your peace, your joy, the guidance of your spirit, and the love of the Father? Lord, prepare us, wake us up to the realities of what's going on all around the world. Engage our hearts with your heart, our prayers with your mission in this world. Show us what it means to turn to you this week. And Lord, we just pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering because they bear your name. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Honduras, our partner churches, for the pastors, their wives, their families, for protection, for boldness, for courage, for provision. And we pray for the work of compassion that it would help kids come to know, love, and serve you. We pray this all for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.